the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. here or right now this is coliseum chad episode number three and you're listening to it here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad of course of coliseum chad fame and we are going to dive into the third installment of this coliseum chad series once a month we take a departure from new generation declassified to take a look back at Coliseum video and uh, this week going to turn it a little bit towards where I think you should kind of aim your collection uh, in the direction of uh, building a library. Um, that's been one of the questions I've gotten the most since I've started off this little series is how do you kind of piece this together? What's the best way to kind of economically put together a Coliseum video collection in 2022 uh, not many places to go to get these titles like there used to be. But I think one thing we can really say is that uh, the journey of collecting uh, never changes no matter what. You never know when something's going to pop up in the wild. And uh, that becomes the fun is the chase and seeing where exactly you might find your next little gem out there in uh, somebody's uh, <laughs> trash becoming somebody's treasure uh, bin. <laughs> you know, you go to a flea market, you don't know what to expect. Boom, you find uh, something you're looking for and you didn't realize it was going to be there. So Coliseum Video becomes kind of that uh, collection-driven um, desire for me when I go out into the uh, the old antique stores and flea markets and garage sales which i don't really hit as much anymore but that's the only places to get these things now if it was not called ebay or it's not a facebook group or a facebook marketplace and you're battling all the other collectors that are out there looking for the same thing uh the thrill of the hunt and that's what we detailed last month with john paz is john paz and myself driving around new jersey driving around pennsylvania new york you know looking for these video stores where we could buy these videos and uh, that was the journey. That was the fun part was looking to see what was going to be popping up next and combing and scouting locations months in advance just to wait for the uh, opportunity to go in and, uh, and possibly uh, purchase the stock. Can't really do that kind of stuff anymore. Either it's all been purchased or maybe uh, there's some hidden tape vendor that is uh, hoarding this stuff inside a storeroom or a uh, storage locker. Somewhere that we don't know about. Um, I remember about 15 years ago was like the final um, discovery of Coliseum videos that were un, uh, unopened cases of the more early like 91, 92 releases in those big cardboard boxes when they kind of were like going back towards their own style. But the big cardboard ones didn't really work. They looked great, but they weren't like necessarily a success. They didn't last very long. 
but a big, big, big unearthing of some of the secondary titles uh, happened. And there's actually, there's a vendor who I'm trying to get on the, uh, the next installment or the one after that. I've got quite the time um, finding people who I think are relevant for the show. And they are all kind of either like on board and then fall off or they're just not responding to uh, the requests that are made uh, for interviews. Um, but there's a vendor that's actually out of my home state here of Virginia that he bought so many of the sealed titles of like the second annual Battle of the Superstars or Rampage 91 and Rampage 92 uh, the world tour, you know, these, these great secondary titles that never really beat you over the head with the marquee matches, but they got some gems on there, you know, and, and I'll say this, and this is kind of a sidebar. Um, since we recorded Scott Hall passed away, which if you've heard the last couple episodes of new generation declassified, it's been a big topic. His Coliseum video, the razor Ramon Coliseum video that was released in 1994, um, it's kind of saw a resurgence after his passing. And it's always been a tape that's been in the, you know, 25 to $30 range. If you want to grab it, um, you know, I was seeing sales of 50 and $60, um, of this tape, which, um, it's a great tape. I mean, the box art is very shiny, very flashy and a great picture of him, you know, given the, uh, just, uh, don't sing it, bring it kind of, uh, motion. Um, very cool to see, you know, that something like that still keeps its value. And in, in, in a time where, you know, very sad and very unfortunate, somebody passes away, you know, the value tends to to go up. But, um, you know, that was one of the things that was affected uh, in the immediate time after his passing was the Coliseum video. And it's a great one. I believe if it's not that one, there's a maybe it's the Undertaker's Gravest Challenge. Um there's a or great Undertaker's greatest matches. There's a very rare Scott Hall versus Undertaker match that I think was their first ever uh, meeting as Scott Hall and Razor or Razor Ramon and the Undertaker. They've been teammates in Japan, but um, yeah, very cool as well. Razor Ramon was still a uh, a bad guy, not the bad guy, a bad guy. So that's uh, one of those hidden gems. Uh, what we're also going to do today, after kind of go over some of the um, you know keys to your collection. Um, I've talked about it on both episodes and I'd like to kind of snip it here a little bit, two parts, maybe not the whole episode because this episode is still available on the two man power trip of wrestling podcast, uh, empire feed. Um, it is the episode we did all the way back on April 21st, 2015 featuring the former executive, uh, producer of the Coliseum videos. His name was Steven Hecht. At the time, he was the executive vice president of business development for Arc Productions. Uh, Arc Productions at the time was the uh, main distributor for a lot of, uh, you know, family-based entertainment. Um, I know my daughters, and remember even talking about this on the episode, were, uh, well, my daughter, my other daughter wasn't even born yet. Um, we watched all the Barbie movies that came from Arc Productions. Uh, so Stephen Heck kind of sticking with you know, the cartoony world of uh, then the WWF and then crossing over to uh, Arc Productions later on in his career. I'd lost touch with Mr. Hecht, um, had tried to uh, look him up to see if we can get him on. Um, I'm hoping he's still around. I couldn't find any good contact information for him and I couldn't find any, um, any other information, period, to kind of confirm maybe he was still with us. 
Um, but he was actually living in Toronto. He's from New York, but he was living up in Toronto and working for Arc Productions and uh, gave us such great insight uh, to the creation of Coliseum Video and working with Vince McMahon and working with the WWF, how the tapes were put together. And I don't, again, I don't want to just steal the whole interview off the feed. I was just going to give it to you in a couple parts of what I think is, uh, is kind of relevant to our situation. Kind of funny if you're a, a podcast snob or you're a podcast aficionado. Um, it's not the greatest quality in the world because it was 2015 and the, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, amateur podcaster at the time didn't have a lot of equipment. Well, you had other ways to go ahead and do it. Blog talk radio was one that we used a lot where you didn't have to go live and broadcast this on the air. You could just kind of store it in your vault and, um, go back and download it whenever the hell you wanted to. So this was one of those, uh, interviews I remember very clearly when we did it it was like you know four o'clock in the afternoon uh so excited this was very early and john and i's run together as the two-man power trip um but again john and i's history with coliseum video it worked perfect to have him on and it was really uh oh just so so good and we will uh give you a little bit of that today but i still would love for you to go and find it if you search Stephen heck coliseum video two-man power trip any kind of uh, concoction of that search, you'll get the uh, the link or just go through the podcast feed, you know, the uh, the Potomatic uh, two-man power trip podcast feed, the RSS feed. You can scroll all the way down and you'll be able to find some of those uh, very, very early episodes of the two-man power trip. Um, we were very green, but you know what? We were very eager to learn, which we did. And I think we've kind of made something pretty good of ourselves in the uh, following seven, eight years, whatever the heck it's been since we started. Uh, so let me give you this little rundown. Actually, I'll give you a, a quick little insight. Since we last met, I haven't really added any more titles. Um, I've kind of lost. I was bidding on some. There was nothing I wanted to buy it now or want to send a best offer for on eBay. There was a few that were up for auction that I lost out on. And again, I've been looking at a lot of these more rare titles. Uh, so I was going after a Japanese version of WrestleMania 1. And I've talked about the laser discs before. I've actually was also going after the laser disc version of WrestleMania 1. And that has been increasingly difficult to get. Uh, a lot of the WrestleMania 1 Coliseum video merchandise has gone up considerably in terms of the uh, the final sales. Uh, one thing that still baffles me is there's a highlight tape called the best of WrestleMania, which was the first WrestleMania, and it was the highlights. And this thing used to be about as common as anything. Now I saw sales in the ninety to one hundred dollar range, and I was shocked at that because it was so common uh, back in the day, uh, as uh, the kids say. And this one was really. Uh, common. I, I don't know any other ways to say it. You can get it pretty much anywhere and you can get it for $5 and now it's, it's increasing. So it's become hard. Uh, and especially somebody who wants to get into it and, and wants to collect all these boxes. And really that's what it's going to be about. You're going to do it because you like the box art. You're going to do it because you like what the cover art and the display has to offer. Um, I don't know how many people out there are like myself and still have a laser disc player and still have the VHS player. And, you know, and I still have my DVD Blu-ray uh, set up. I don't know how many people even have that anymore. 
And I've recently discovered, as I put together one of my last uh, storage areas here in my house that I've only been in for about six months, um, I found all my converted Coliseum videos to DVD that when, you know, I thought the DVD was the way to go and it was time to eliminate these big bulky tapes, I converted everything, put them on DVD, and I was uh, ready to walk away from uh, the VHS game. I mentioned how the only one I saved from that era was the Heart Foundation tape, and uh, I kicked myself for all the ones that I'm looking at at this list in front of me that I had and let go, and I had so many that were in such good shape, and oh, what a mistake, but live and learn. Um, I would say if you were going to start your Coliseum video collection, I think the best way to really want to like piece it together is you would go after the pay-per-views, right? You would go after your WrestleManias, you know, one through, I would really say one through 12, uh, 13 is a little bit harder to find. 13 is the last Coliseum video WrestleMania, but you could even stay. I would say get to 12. If you want to be a completist, get to 13, but 12 isn't as hard to find as 13 is. Um, 13 is when they kind of started to get a little lazy and you could see they were getting to the end of the run of the relationship between Coliseum and the WWF. And it was, um, they weren't as creative with how they, uh, they put together these boxes and you're saying to yourself, well, you know, WrestleMania three is just Hogan looking at Andre, you know, and WrestleMania four is just, uh, the two of them boxed, uh, next to each other on, uh, you know, just a black background but it was there was something about the fact that they would have their unique look and the big, just huge logo and the way it was presented to WrestleMania 13's um, uh, image is just kind of like uh, two mismatched images of Sid and the Undertaker on like a generic, you know, yellow and orangey background with uh, the 13 draped over the WrestleMania, and they call it they call it on the cover the biggest event of 1997. Um, and if you discount the, the screw job in the November of that year, maybe that's true, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's good if you want to have all 13 on the original format, but it's just not very impressive. You know, it's just, it's, it's a very stinky presentation and actually you know, I'm on the history of WWE.com. If you click that, you can go to Amazon and you can check out what they've got. And, uh, you know, that's another source but not a good one. I really don't like Amazon as a uh, destination for Coliseum videos only because I, I think with eBay, it's a little more tried and true. You kind of don't know what you're going to get when you order something from Amazon. That's not, you know, strictly from them in front of one of those dealers that sells through Amazon. I don't really know sometimes how, uh, how good it is. You know, it's not really um, a high quality merchandise. I don't personally uh, like to do it. Um, but if you're going to go the easy route, you go the WrestleManias, right? They're pretty common. Uh, the Summer Slams, the Royal Rumbles, King of the Ring. Uh, as you get more towards 1996 and 97, the titles get a little harder to find, but you kind of know where to get that now, you know, versus uh, some of these older titles. You don't see them as often. Um, you know, you go back into the 80s, you see some of the superstar releases. Um, that's where we're going to kind of steer our direction. But if you want to build a simple from scratch collection, you go with the, uh, the pay-per-views, even the first Royal rumble that they put on Coliseum video, the 1989 Royal rumble 
with, I think, one of the more uh, standout cover arts of the time with all the box pictures of the superstars that were on the event. I think that that one is one of the most reasonably priced major pay-per-views of that golden 87, 88, 89 era. I mean, you can really get it still for like 15, 20 bucks. Uh, the only problem is when you see a lot of the 88, 89 releases, I don't know if it was just the material that the box was printed on. They, they kind of changed the cardboard a little bit as it would go on. It would be a little thinner. These were thicker, but, um, and this is directly because of the sunlight inside of the video stores, the way the sunlight would hit some of those windows and the wrestling section. And I know mine personally, my uh, home base, uh, West coast video in uh, Middletown, New Jersey, the way the sunlight hit the wrestling section faded the ever living crap out of some of these tapes. So you, it, you would be able to get a kind of beat up version of Royal rumble 89 for like 15 bucks. Um, if you really want to be a big spender, you want to get a, a polished, sometimes even sealed version of it. You know, you, maybe you're looking more towards $50 for a sealed one, but uh, I, I'd say you spend about 25, 30 bucks and you get a nice uh, crisp box of Royal rumble 89 and it's a great one. Now, the only problem that we have with a Royal Rumble 89 pay-per-view uh, on Coliseum Video is it was edited. And that was the way a lot of those went. Now, I did not realize that at the time. And as a kid, didn't uh, pay attention to the fact that there were some heavy edits. But as I got older and as I kind of paid attention to that kind of stuff, you got to see the heavy, heavy editing that Coliseum Video did on these tapes to squeeze them into the duration that the tape uh, was and as you know from back in the day if you were one of us you know that your tape quality depended on your length and yeah yeah you could squeeze eight to ten hours on certain tapes of of stuff or maybe i don't remember was eight the max i don't remember and the the quality was dog crap because the tape was just like completely uh, you know like at its capacity uh whereas if you did have one of those two hour um I forget the speeds, SP, SLP. I can't remember uh, what it was, but I think it was SP or X, XP might've been an hour and SP was two hours. You got a better quality of um, presentation. So with those uh, three hour shows, they'd put those down to sometimes, you know, 90 minutes. Yeah. You're maybe, uh, you know, an hour and 40 um, depending on what it was. Now, remember the, the, the fact that they build, WrestleMania four is that two tape set, you know, again, it's another one. It's heavily edited. It is absolutely, you know, slaughtered. And I remember back, you know, watching it, the intermission that's there. And if you ever can get a copy of what the pay-per-view is like, it's slightly different. There's not some of the Coliseum video exclusive interviews, obviously that you would get with those, but it's just, I think a more authentic presentation. And I used to love when they would take the break on the pay-per-view and they'd give it a little timer and that's how they got it in the arena. You got your little intermission, uh, a little pee break if you wanted. And uh, I remember the same thing from back in the day with those pay-per-views. You'd be like, what? Taking a break. You kidding me? I'm paying $39.95 for this thing. You can't take a break on SummerSlam 89. Uh, which is, again, another one. Not a decently uh, bad price to tape to grab if you want to build your pay-per-view collection. But I say the way to go, if you want the authentic Coliseum experience, start looking at the Superstar tapes. The first one you start and stop is at Hulk Hogan. He's got probably 10 different kinds of Superstar tapes 
that you could choose from, from the Hulkamania series, which I believe gets numbered up to seven. And then all of the kind of side releases that were more like, uh, you know, your 1495 uh, regular retail video store tapes that you could find. Um, you They could be anywhere from 995 to 1995. Um, he probably has 10 plus tapes. Now you do get a lot of repeats. You know, you do get a lot of the same matches, but with the Hulkster, it's the presentation of the Hulkster. It's the red and yellow. It's the real American. And it's, you know, at least one big championship match, whether it's against the Macho Man or, you know, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. You get something uh, in the form of Hulk Hogan. And I would say you start with Hulkamania and do what I did. When I started this recollecting journey, one of the first ones I went and got was Coliseum Video number 002. And that is the 1985 Hulkamania, which only features one, two, three, four, five matches. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty small. You know, they're, they're great matches. You get the Hulk Hogan title victory over the iron Sheik. You get a steel cage match with big John stud. You get, uh, one of the, the greatest matches of that time period, time period for the Hulkster. And it is the, um, uh, Minneapolis, um, like Texas death match between, uh, Dr. D David Schultz and Hulk Hogan, which is like, Oh my gosh, for that time, just so violent and bloody and so, um, underappreciated as we would say in the, uh, pantheon of Hulk Hogan matches is this bloody war with, um, Dr. D David Schultz in Minneapolis, which was a ploy by Vince McMahon because that's the AWA territory where both these guys came from. So you threw two AWA names in the main event of this Minneapolis show, and it absolutely uh, tore the house down. It was one of the best Hogan matches of that early championship era. Um, you also get a $15,000 body slam match with Big John Studd and um, Hulk Hogan and Greg the Hammer Valentine from the Spectrum, um, which was from the summer of 1984, which, I mean, some of those, and you catch those, Matt, those shows on their own, those Spectrum shows, I love the crowd, the Philly crowd, is so raw and authentic even then. I mean, they're chanting very derogatory names for people. They're chanting curses. They're calling out uh, the bad, the good guys, and they're cheering the bad guys. It's uh, it's pretty cool. But I say the superstar tapes are the way to go, especially with the Hulkster, uh, Hulkamania 1. And Hulkamania 2 is one of my favorite tapes. You know, it's hard to say. I, I I pinpoint the Macho Man, the Macho Madness as my favorite one, only because that's the tape I rented the most as a kid. Uh, I owned Hulkamania 4 very early in my collecting days, so that was another one. But Hulkamania 2 and Hulkamania 3 are so perfect to tell the Hulkamania story. 2 is the whole betrayal of Paul Orndorff from the flower shop vignettes and segments to the uh, the match itself where Orndorff turns on Hogan. My favorite match of all time, the steel cage match uh, from Saturday night's main event and all the um, just epic, epic segments they did together to build that feud uh, from being buddies to being enemies, all kind of chronicled on Hulkamania 2 and then Hulkamania 3 is called The Giant Betrayal, and it chronicles the whole Andre the Giant turn. They, they were so well put together, and you scratch your head to think that most of the people who were involved at that time are still around, i.e. Vince and uh, Brother Brucey. 
but it doesn't make any sense that they could put together such masterpieces then and put together such non-masterpieces now. Um, but Hulkamania 1, Hulkamania 2, Hulkamania 3, Hulkamania 4, there's a Hulkamania 5, there's a Hulkamania 6, and then there's a Hulkamania Forever, which I believe is the seventh installment and the final of the Hulkamania series. And, you know, one thing I want to do on the show eventually is the what if uh, category, who could have gotten another, you know, release, what superstars maybe deserved it over others. That might be part of what we hear with Stephen Hecht on the uh, clip we're going to play in a few minutes. But maybe we should have gotten another installment of Hulkamania. Maybe it would have been cool to get to a Hulkamania 10 and have it be a whole conglomeration of matches over those 10 videos, you know, going back to the first one. Uh, how come there's not a Hulkamania tape from the 93 run or maybe even 92? It goes up to about midway through 91. I think one of the last things they have is the uh, one of the boot camp matches between Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter. But why not? You know, and, and turning to the attention to some other guys, Macho Man has a tape in 1986 called Macho Man and Elizabeth. He has the 1988 release of Macho Madness while he's champion. But why is that it? How come that was it for the Macho Man? Why don't we get a 1992 Macho Man tape? Why don't we get a spotlight on him? Was that because he was getting phased out? Or was it because Vince only thought he'd be an announcer going forward? I don't know, but it's got to be something that was talked about. Why can't we put another Macho Man tape out? I think that would have been excellent. Because, you know, someone like Bret Hart, he has his Hart Foundation tape first. And then as Bret was climbing the ranks. There's an intercontinental champion, Brett era tape. That's on one of the side releases, not a mainstream Coliseum, but one of the kind of side commercial releases. Uh, but it's during his intercontinental championship reign, um, leading to a couple tapes released while he was the world champ, but stopping at a certain point, you know, maybe there should have been more past 94, 95, and I think it must have been an initiative in the, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things that they went away from the superstar tapes and put them more commercially because the last ones to get it were Diesel in 95 as a 1495 Suncoast video special that sat there forever. It's a horrible quality. It's shitty match selection. I've talked about that on one of the original New Generation Declassified episodes. And then one of the last random superstar collections that Coliseum Video puts out is on Good Times Home Video. And it's a release on Sunny. And it gets zero play. Just absolutely zero play. And it's $14.95 in Suncoast Video. And that was like, what? You know, they, you want a 90-minute presentation of something. You know, and I know there's only so much you could do with Sunny at that point. Um, but yeah, it's just so weird, you know, like they kind of gave up on this formula that was so successful that you could go back to the early days and, you know, Coliseum video number 16 is the life and times of Captain Al uh, Lou Albano going back to the seventies and showing you matches from the seventies and that he wasn't just this fat manager. He was a devious tag team wrestler and cheating and bleeding all over the place. You know, it's, it's such a cool look or wrestling's country boys Coliseum video number 12 which is a look at Hillbilly Jim and Uncle Elmer, you know, and has a lot of great team-ups with him and Hulk Hogan and, you know, the wedding segment from Saturday Night's Main Event and all the cool things that they did 
in that time frame. It's like anything they could touch would turn to, to gold. Rowdy Rowdy Piper's greatest hits, Coliseum video number nine. Um, I think one of my favorite tapes of all time right there. I've been working on trying to get one of Piper's daughters on the show to talk about this and see what they think about uh, this tape, you know, 35 years later, almost 40 years later, that this tape is so different because it has an interview of a, uh, you know, when do you see in 1985 um, a, a dual interview of uh, somebody interviewing themselves, you know, on two video screens. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's so campy, but it's so well put together. Uh, you got to tip your cap. Uh, Andre, the giant 1985 costing video number six, you know, again, that's a little, again, a little more pricey. That one is a little harder to find, but especially in good condition, but they re-released that in the, uh, the I believe, the mid-2000s as just kind of like a throwaway DVD. Like, oh, yeah, here's an Andre the Giant DVD. Well, it was this original tape back from 1985 that what they did was they – this was during the phase where WWE Home Video took Jesse the Body Ventura's commentary off of every uh, match that he was on. So they actually – they switched the presentation – and they have, the, I believe, the main event. Uh, was it the main event? The main event of the tape is the WrestleMania 1 uh, main event from, uh, or excuse me, main event, Body Slam Challenge. And it's got a new voiceover of uh, Taz and Michael Coles. Very odd that they would do that. But, you know, funny that they would put that out on tape the way they did. Um, looking at a couple of the other tapes here of superstars uh, that, that got one. And this one I actually just added to my collection, but just a signed version of the uh, cover, and it's Coliseum Video number 40, and it's Jake the Snake Roberts. So when you got into 87, 88, you got some rarer titles. You got your Heart Foundation, which is number 37. You got Jake, which is 40. You got um, the Ken Patera story, which is number 43, which is <laughs> when you listen to John's um, uh, appearance last month, he was talking about the Ken Patera tape. I remember when he got the Ken Patera tape, we were like, what? Why? <laughs> Why does this have a tape? Uh, George the Animal Steel got one. That's number 47. Uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake got one. That's number 51. That is so early in Brutai's run as the barber. It really is is mostly stuff that happened from WrestleMania nine, uh, to about what? Uh, yeah. June, 1987, I think is the, um, so like it's, uh, March to, uh, June is really what they got in this tape. Um, but it came out on, uh, April 13th, 1988. You know, this is what I talked about in that first episode where you got one superstar tape a month. You got, uh, one best of the WWF, and you got a pay-per-view. Now, the best of the WWF series, I kind of want to isolate that as its own episode because there are, I believe, 19 or 20 volumes of that. And yes, that's a great place to collect. It's kind of harder to piece together than the superstar collections. Um, but you'll get the idea when we cover that in, in full um, coverage mode when I get to that. Uh, Macho Madness. Number 59 on the Coliseum video release uh, schedule. It, it's, to me, the perfect tape. You get a, a recap of some of the WrestleMania matches, but you get some absolute gems. You get some of the Madison Square Garden matches between DiBiase and um, the Macho Man, including the one where the kid climbs the cage and gets in the middle of the finish 
and they got to kick him off the top of the cage before uh, security swarms him. You get a uh, awesome match from December 1987 with uh, Macho Man and the Hockey Talk Man, where uh, Jimmy Hart is put in a cage that's raised above the ring. I mean, just so classic, uh, but so well done. And that goes up to SummerSlam '88, where the Mega Powers take on uh, the Mega Bucks. If we're going to move ahead a little bit in the timeline, and you get into the '90s, and you're really trying to put together some of these uh, complete superstar releases, you can't forget number uh where is it i just lost it number 97 which is hulkamania 6 now that was released november 28th 1991 this one has some very rare matches i believe this is yes this one right here if you can find this tape and you want to have something rare in your collection you can have the first ever meeting of Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker, where The Undertaker does lose the match via pin in a way that The Undertaker had not lost up to this point. So it's from July 29th, 1991 in Worcester, Mass. Undertaker pins, uh, or excuse me, Hulk Hogan pins The Undertaker in four minutes and 34 seconds. So just imagine that. So if you want a rare match, that is one to add. I actually just came across it the other day uh, accidentally, but it's only like a three-minute clip. So if you put it into YouTube, I believe the only thing you're going to find is a small clip where WWE is is kind of highlighting it as a hidden gem. But it's not a hidden gem if you've got yourself Hulkamania 6. No way, no how. It is a, uh, a, a key cog in your collection. Um, but as we get forward into the timeline, I'm just looking at here, uh, you have one of Brett's releases on, uh, August 10th, 1994. It's Coliseum video number 140. It is, uh, Brett, the Hitman heart special. This one kind of chronicling, um, mid 93 to about WrestleMania 10. Um, this one had a, a gold seal on it to commemorate Brett's, uh, WrestleMania victory. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, the Razor Ramon tape is Coliseum Video 143. And I want to say, uh, let me see, 143 was Razor. We don't get another superstar release until, get this, the Heartbreak Express Tour on March 11th, 1997, which is Coliseum Video number 168. So that's how much they phased them out before uh, switching over to WWF home video in 1997. Um, but these were so incredibly uh, vital to your Coliseum collection to have these superstar tapes. I mean, you know, other ones that you have, like Hacksaw, Jim Duggan's got his own superstar tape. The Ultimate Warrior has his own superstar tape. Demolition has their own superstar tape. If you're going to collect the Coliseums, this is the way to go, in my humble opinion. Uh, again, another segment I have for the future is the Dream Tapes. I have one guest who, God damn it, has canceled on me twice, but he says we're going to get it done, and I need him for this segment, so I have to keep waiting. The guys that should have had the tapes. Right now, as you're listening to this, you're saying, why didn't the Road Warriors have one? Why didn't Mr. Perfect have one? Why didn't this guy have it? Why didn't Ravishing Rick Rude have it? You're going to find that out when we talk about the Dream Tapes. Who else should have been on that list? But that's another story for another day. I want to get over to the Stephen Hecht 
vintage archived two-man power trip interview. One of my favorites that I've ever been a part of uh, in the just the toddler stage of our uh, time interviewing uh, people for podcasts. So keep that in mind as you're listening. You have very eager beavers that might sound a little more, um, you know, <laughs> childish than we, we do now. Let's put it that way. Um, but I appreciate you listening to me for this duration. And uh, I love this show and I love bringing Coliseum video to anyone who wants to listen. If you don't want to listen and you think I'm full of absolute wind, then I apologize. Can't all be your cup of tea, but this is for Coliseum video. This is a love letter to it every single month, which will be back for April. Uh, so I'm going to get over to the Stephen Hecht interview. We will close it out there. It will go to the end of the show. So I'll give you my uh, plug skis. Now, if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB exclusives on Instagram. My website is ibexclusives.com. Check out all the action we got over there. Go to belowthecollar.com slash ibexclusives for the Chadster t-shirt. And check out our website here, tmptempire.com. All the amazing podcasts under the TMPT umbrella, including the many, many interviews that John has carried on so valiantly and uh, and so uh, precisely over the last couple of years. I uh, am so thrilled with all the success, but very humbling to go back and listen to this one. So please stay tuned and catch on the flip side, a vintage two man power trip piece with the former executive producer of Coliseum video, Stephen Hecht. I will catch you on new generation declassified next week. The best of WWF American wrestling. WrestleMania. SummerSlam. Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, UK Rampage, and many more specialist releases. Available only through Silver Vision, the official distributor of the World Wrestling Federation video. So if it's body slam, side suplexes, clotheslines, drop kicks, and power slams that you're after, increase your library of WWF videos with some of these spectacular annual WWF events. of the World Wrestling Federation's matches. John and I, who have grown up as children of the 80s, uh, very big into Coliseum video. And I was <laughs> kind of racking my brain trying to figure out who could I find from Coliseum video. And who else could I think of than the person who popped up first on the credits that when they rolled at the end. And it, writer, producer, Stephen Heck. So my first question yep. would be, did you work for the World Wrestling Federation, or did you work for Coliseum Video? Um, I worked, for, uh, the way this started is that I was um, an independent uh, contractor out of my own, and I was selling uh, sponsorships, national sponsorships and syndicated radio and television. 
and I had heard literally the buzz on the street that um, Vince Jr. Um, was going to buy the company uh, from from his dad, from Vince Sr., and that he was planning to take it uh, national. And having been a fan, I'm a child of the, the, the 50s and 60s, but like you guys, grew up watching it and being a fan. And um, I uh, uh, knew, coincidentally, the guy who was their very first vice president of marketing because he was a former media director at a big ad agency, at J. Walter Thompson. And uh, so I called him up, and I said, I'd like to, I understand Vince is going to uh, take the promotion national. Um, I'd be interested in, in helping you with the, uh, with the sponsorships, because I'm already in the business of selling national sponsorships and calling on all the ad agencies. And uh, we struck an agreement, and I had a couple of... Uh, handful of agencies to call on and I was successful at it and uh, got them some of their first uh, national sponsorships uh, on the television side and I heard through that association that they were going that they Titan Sports at the time uh, was going to uh, license uh, the home video rights and I knew some people in the video business, and I said to them, I'd like to bring somebody to the table. And I brought an independent company, um, which was called A&H Video Sales, and they owned a bunch of video companies, the most notable of which was Metro Distributors, who were, I think, third or fourth in, in the business at the time. As an independent distributor, they were actually distributing some of the major studio stuff. And when we struck the deal... To, uh, I was able to uh, bring A&H to the table. Uh, we were able to strike the deal with Titan. Um, and then uh, A&H uh, decided that they needed a very distinct identity for this product, so they formed a label, if you will, called Coliseum Video, and that was formed around me. And they subsequently hired me, although this wasn't my uh, original uh, intent, um, but they said, well, you obviously know the material and we like the way you write and you wrote these presentations and you got us the deal, so why don't you write and produce it for us? And so that's how I became, that's how I became a producer, which was, was somewhat by, uh, uh, by accident. So Coliseum Video um, was formed and we had an exclusive deal to produce and distribute um, what was called at that time the official WWF uh, home video series. And uh, that's that's how it uh, started. And I worked there counting the sponsorship and then at Coliseum, got five years and change, I think. And I do know that it was uh, really successful um, up until the time that I left. Uh, I had done 50 i think the count is exactly 55 uh videos um and they were uh, i can tell you everyone turned a profit so it was a very good uh, business arrangement both for the guys at coliseum where where my contract was and also for uh the wwf it became uh the most successful non-theatrical 
uh, video series in the history of the home video business. Without a doubt, and they had a, a quite a long shelf stay uh, in terms of the rapid amount of releases that were coming out. But when the releases were first conceptualized, yep. what was the initial thought? Was there any idea of what exactly was going to come out, or was it kind of, let's just throw a match compilation out and see how it sells, or was it just uh, no. kind of organic? No, it, it was uh, the uh, the. the Coliseum was owned by by uh, two guys, Arthur Marowitz and Howard Farber. And uh, Arthur Marowitz was one of the pioneers, literally, of the home video business. Um, in that, uh, Arthur and Howard o- opened literally the first video store in the world. Um, and Arthur was also, I believe, the very first president, if not an early president of what was then called VSDA, the Video Software Dealers of America, which was the main trade association for the home video uh, retailers. So they they were pretty savvy marketing guys, and uh, they greatly admired the uh, the marketing of the WWF. And we weren't going to sort of just you know let it grow organically, although it is in any business some of it does grow organically if it if it works, but um, uh, there was a uh, a plan to do um, uh, three series, and we did. I can still remember because I don't know anybody that <laughs> that would try and produce this much content this fast. We we did three original programs every ninety days. Um, the first was a uh, best of the WWF series, which was you know your generic highlights uh, matches. Uh, the second was personality series, so there'd be an individual program, one on Andre, one on Hulk, one on Roddy Piper, uh, whoever was you know getting uh, or wanting to get the heat at the time. Uh, and then there was the novelty series, which was uh, you know inside the steel cage and history of the tag team championship, history of the intercontinental championship. Um, and then there were the event, and then on the side of the three regular regularly scheduled uh, shows there was a plan for the uh, uh, the special events now I have to tell you that you know they say timing is everything and I don't know if it's everything but it certainly counts for a lot I always had myself uh, you know an incredible admiration uh, for the WWF um, and I had no doubt in my mind that um, when when Vince was looking to become the first national wrestling promotion, that he would succeed. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I thought WrestleMania was going, or that many of us thought WrestleMania was going to be the phenomenon uh, that it became. And I put the deal together, uh, so I packaged up the rights deal in October of 84, I mean, the timing was perfect, and then they started doing, you know, a, a more pay-per-view event. So we had three regularly scheduled series every 90 days, plus, uh, you know, special stuff uh, on top. And the uh, one of the very interesting things uh, for me, because I had I had some training as a uh, in research, be, because I, I used to work for the AC Nielsen company. 
and earlier in, in, in my professional life. And I really liked finding stuff. Well, the, the library, the, the archive, if you will, of the WWF, when, when I got it, I remember one part of it was in at this uh, they had a uh, they had some of the stuff warehoused at this television station they were using in Owings Mills and right. i walked into a uh, literally a warehouse small warehouse and there were tapes in all sorts of format there was film and not all of it was categorized because you know home video in the early we're talking a mid mid 80s was you know the the battle between beta and VHS had just been won. This was a, a business that was growing very very fast and really faster than anybody could. A lot of us could keep track of. And I remember picking up a uh, a case of two inch tape, and all it said was MSG ten slash seventy. So I could put two and two together and say okay. It's something from Madison Square Garden in October 1970, but what? So as a result, I and a bunch of other people have probably watched. There was a point in time where I I, I once laid claim to the uh, to the distinction of of saying that that I have probably watched uh, in that in in the 80s more wrestling than any person alive, with the possible exception of Vince McMahon. Because, <laughs> I had to go through a lot of stuff, but it was fun and uh, and it was uh, successful. And then, how was the uh, the WWF's uh, participation in putting together the videos? Did they strictly uh, hand over the content, or was it uh, a you know cooperative process between both sides working together to put to you know to tape the best product possible? Uh, that that did evolve. Um, when we got, when we went through probably, um, I, I think it must have been up to, we, we must have been around, I'd say, number 20, you know, like the 20th program before I turned to my boss and I said, you know, I'm a little dry for ideas here. Up until then, mm -hmm. um, we had I mean there were approvals all the way along I mean we we got approval on on everything every match who who was in it uh they vetted everything um but we were pretty much left alone um to uh you know do the three series and and the specials I mean didn't take a whole lot of you know um uh, debate to decide whether or not you should, you know, release WrestleMania on on video, um, so so those were were pretty easy. Um, in terms of the best of series, the novelty series, the personality series, um, they, they they approved them all. And again, under the circumstances, considering how hot the business was, and and how uh, not only their business but the home video business. And again, that's a business that guys I worked for, you know, knew. I mean, they they literally were were one of the inventors of of that business. So uh, we we were pretty much left alone again with with a reasonable and and regular uh, approval process. Long about when we got up to about twenty shows, and I called them and I said, "Listen, I need some help there," and they said, "No problem, come on up." And Vince. Uh, convened a, a meeting, a couple of meetings. One was at the office and one was at his house. 
um, him, uh, Howard Finkel, Pat Patterson, and uh, Bobby Heenan. And we said, um, I said, I need, you know, some ideas here. What do you think? And um, they, they, they banged it out pretty quickly. I think after those two meetings, I probably had like, you know, the next 10 to 15, you know, already specked out. Were, were there any titles that stand out to you as a personal favorite amongst all the ones that you worked on? Uh, well, the obvious one, and, and really I didn't have much to do with it because, you know, it's sort of self-defining was WrestleMania three. Um, the, uh, the experience of that was, I mean, I, I was at the first one, um, and I watched it from the, uh, uh, from the tunnel, you know, the entrance tunnel into the garden. The second one, uh, we watched because they were doing it at three different venues. I literally watched it from an antenna farm. Uh, I think it was HBO's antenna oh, wow. farm <laughs> that that we that was out on Long Island to make sure that the uh, that the feeds uh, were coming correctly because that that what they did that was pretty bloody risky. What they tried with the uh, with, with the three different uh, arenas to get that all to work simultaneously, but. WrestleMania three. First of all, you had Hulk Andre, which you know again is sort of self-defining, and um, uh, you know it contains, to my mind, still, and and I don't you know follow it uh, anymore really, um, but uh, it, it still has the greatest single match of all time, which is Savage Steamboat, in in, in my right. uh, opinion. And uh, before that match went off, so I was shooting some background stuff, you know, the the morning of, um, and probably not more than five or ten minutes before that bell uh, went off, um, before anybody entered the ring, um, I took two steps up uh, outside the uh, one of the ring posts and looked around at what seventy three or seventy nine thousand I forget the exact number, but they were announcing they had broken the world indoor attendance record that had previously been set by the Rolling Stones and I'll tell you you, you don't have i don't I don't think people have the experience in their lives uh, where they can look from the middle of you know all those people and and to look up and just see that is really. What uh, was really quite something, and and the way that event came together, the way it uh, the way it flowed was was pretty that 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 was pretty special. I can tell you, I watched the event once it went off. I mean, my work was all done shooting the background as beforehand, um, so I watched it from the announcer at a table next to the announcer's position, next to to Gino and uh, and Jesse. And and Oakland and I were uh, uh, were watching it, and about five minutes into the match, into the Savage Steamboat match, Gene was pounding on the table with his fists. Oh and boy! There's a guy who <laughs> listen. He had he he for a guy to get like that to get so ex- to get genuinely so excited. It was it was pretty thrilling, and then to see that event, you know, to be able to. Uh, um, to play it back, and and they were all, you know, I, I'd find it hard. I mean, I can you know think of a couple of 
you know, a handful of favorites of mine. Uh, what was it? The biggest, the strong, the biggest, the smallest, the strangest, the strongest. Where right. we did sort of, you know, all the extremes. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, history of the heavyweight championship, history of the intercontinental title. You know, when you you put all that stuff together. Uh, you know, sort of in a linear fashion and look at it and see how the stories evolved and see how the characters um, uh, interact. That, that, was, that, that was a lot of fun for sure. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.